0: Hi friends! Today we are looking at some ways to approach teaching part work when it's time to work on a piece with two or more parts, specifically on barred instruments. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 28 of Elemental Conversations. This topic comes from a friend on Instagram and they sent me a message saying, I've always had trouble teaching a two-part or more song to students and was wondering if you have any insight on how to do it successfully. And then this colleague also sent me a picture of the piece that they are working on. And this is a very simple piece in terms of just how it looks visually. Um, we have three parts going on, but they are all repeated. It's just two measures with chord quarter notes and eighth notes. Again, a lot of repetition. And then we are just repeating these two measures over and over and over. So it's something that when we look at this on paper, we say, oh yeah, this will be super simple, but I'm sure... Uh, A lot of us have had the experience of looking at something that seems very simple, and then we put it in front of students and we're like, whoa, I had no idea that this would not work out, (laughs) but it is not working out. So let's back up. Let's think about how we can approach teaching part work as it applies to bard instruments in elementary general music. A lot of this comes from a blog post I did a while ago. If you just Google scaffolding mallet instruction, there is a blog post and a video about a lot of these tips. Now, this is within, that blog post is within the framework of teaching a bordoon, um, or some people call it a drone on barred instruments, but those tips really apply to any type of mallet instruction that we are looking at, especially with this age group. Let's talk about, again, framing this with some elemental conversations, these big, important building blocks. We have some big categories that we will talk about today. We're going to talk about teacher prep. We're going to talk about, uh, in the moment, the teacher demeanor, like what to do when things are not going well, Um, and then some very practical uh, but foundational understandings of how students are going to learn these parts best, which is every student learns every part The body is the first instrument and we are going to practice part work off the instruments first. So let's jump in. Let's talk about teacher prep. This is something that's going to seem very, very simple, but it's worth saying (laughs) Uh, take the time to play all of these parts yourself. Sometimes we might look at a piece and even if we are looking at the rhythm and the melodic contour, we might say, oh yeah, this is going to be super, super easy. And we can be correct in terms of a theoretical understanding of the piece. And maybe students will have a very easy time uh, theoretically understanding the melodic contour. But when that actually happens on the instrument and we have to figure out this mechanism of which hand right or left is going to play which. Bar. This is the part where we can make ourselves like pretzel arms. And not sure where uh, which which bars our hands are supposed to play at what time. And then the other extreme of that is just students only playing everything with their right hand. So we want to avoid both of those. So taking some time to really figure out the sticking, what's going to make the most sense for sticking in terms of the melodic contour of this piece. That is so, so helpful. So do take the time, even if it looks very, very simple, Think about where are the tricky parts of this piece? Where are students going to get uh, pretzeled up or where are they going to play just everything with their right hand? And what do you want them to do instead? So take some time and figure out the sticking that you want students to do. And then the other thing is uh, a lot of barred instrument work. I heard um, a visiting professor in my undergrad refer to it as uh, target practice. (laughs) And that's what it feels like. Oftentimes that you're just looking at the bars and you're like, oh, I hope this goes well. (laughs) So where are the places that we need to think through sticking and where are the places that we need to think through target practice? So taking some time to play the parts on your own can be very, very helpful. Let's talk about teacher demeanor. When it's actually time to present this, and things are kind of going off the rails, and you're like, "Oh dear," uh, I thought this would be very, very easy, and you're making it look very difficult. And that can be that can be frustrating when you see students making something look very, very hard. That you're like, "This is not hard. Why are you Why are you making it look so hard?" Um, that can be frustrating, but it's very, very important for us to keep our demeanor upbeat. Students have not failed anything and we as teachers have not failed anything when students encounter challenges. This is big. We are the guide in the classroom and when we see students struggling, that's not uh, anything for us to be concerned about, that is just new information. So we need to pause and decide what we are going to do with this information students are giving us. We have talked before about assessment and what assessment is and what it is not. But all of these moments where we get information and then we have to decide how to adjust our future instruction that is assessment. Assessment is just figuring out what students need from us next. So when students give us new information about how they are handling the material that we have given them, all of that is assessment data. And then we can use those data to kind of plot out our next steps. But what we're not going to do is get frustrated or uh, get frustrated either with ourselves or with our students. We're just going to be calm, cool, and collected and take this information. Another thing that we can do in terms of our demeanor is, especially if you are working with older students, we can ask them, we can just straight up ask the students, what about this is difficult for you and what should we do and what do you need from me? So you might have students think their answer um, and then discuss it with a shoulder partner and then share out. The thing to think about here, um, students are very intuitive. Student musicians know what their struggles are and what they need. The other piece of this is that students don't always need us to solve everything for them all the time. <laughs> so uh, we don't always need to be in the position of anticipating their challenges and then making the perfect lesson plan that makes it so they never encounter any difficulty in the learning process. And then when they do encounter difficulty, we freak out and we're like, "Oh no, we have to scrap the whole piece. It's too hard." Uh, we are when we do that kind of approach to ensemble development, we are taking all of the opportunity for students to become independent musicians themselves. Part of being a musician is identifying challenges, identifying challenges in practice, and then deciding how are we going to approach this difficult passage. So when students are thinking about their answers, We can rely on them to identify their own problems and then brainstorm solutions. This is uh, this idea of identifying challenges and then finding the uh, like an appropriate course of action given the challenge that we're facing. This is a very natural tie in with some of these universal design for learning understandings and then some of these social and emotional learning competencies, specifically things having to do with self management. Sometimes students will just need more practice and they can say that sometimes they'll just like, I I need like 30 seconds to do this on my own. Give me a moment because the more you interrupt me as I try to work on this, the more frustrated everybody gets. So keep in mind, students can practice something on their own as you're just kind of floating around. Students can also practice these things in partners. So maybe one partner is kind of looking over the shoulder and saying, oh no, actually it's, it's the A first and then the G like that kind of thing. That's very helpful. So the elemental understanding here is helping students be in charge of their own learning and helping them identify challenges and then brainstorm solutions. And just a quick uh, reiteration that when we brainstorm solutions, especially for our older students, doing that solution in community, AKA like with a partner or in a small group, that can be very, very helpful. The other thing to keep in mind is that we are. Um, there will be exceptions, but it's unlikely. It is very unlikely that we are going to take one piece and work on it through the whole class. It is much more likely that this piece is going to be like fifteen minutes of the the class as a whole, and so that can be very helpful as well. Because if there's a problem we have time to press pause. We as teachers, we have time to press pause and make a little uh, note on our lesson plan about what went wrong. And again, this is assessment, right? These are assessment data. We can take that time to make a little note to ourselves and then we have some space, So after school, we can think through what went wrong. And maybe we talk to colleagues. Maybe we uh, revise our approach for the next class, things like that. But in the moment, the thing to keep in mind is that our demeanor is going to be upbeat the whole time. Uh, No one is failing anything when we encounter challenges. So, we're going to keep our demeanor upbeat. We are going to uh, just take everything as information that students are giving us, aka, we are taking these assessment data so that we can change our future instruction. We can kind of Pivot the approach to problem solving by putting it back on the students, especially if students are older. And then uh, just keep in mind that this is not something that we're going to get bogged down on in class. If it's not going well and you feel bogged down, students feel that times 20 because their pacing is much more um, upbeat than ours. So cap it at 15 minutes or however long you have decided beforehand to cap it at whatever length of the lesson segment you've decided to do, go ahead and cap it and then move on. Don't get bogged down. So we've talked about prep. We've talked about teacher demeanor. Now let's look at some of these big foundational ideas that will apply to teaching basically any mallet part that we are working on. Number one, every student learns every part. This is a big deal because music is for everyone. Music is for everyone. There are not like special parts for special musicians or, um, you know, special parts for the strongest players in a final performance of something we can put students where their strengths are, but that's very different from this idea of, you know, the talented students. And I use that with huge quotes. Um, the talented students have this, you know, busy part and the untalented students have this slower part, that kind of thing. We are taking the opposite approach because music is for everyone. Now, the other thing here is that it is really, really going to help us with every student knowing every part that's going to be huge for part work and listening skills as well. Part work uh, and part work independence is very, very tied to an aural awareness of the ensemble. So in order for me to know that I'm lining up with you, I have to know what you are playing. One of the things that I remember from being in ensembles growing up is how many times we were told to listen back, listen back, uh, to the tubas, listen back to the bass in, in the choir, that kind of thing. But how many times were we asked to listen back without being told what to listen for? How useful would it be for a flute player to know the bass line? How useful would it be for the flute player to know the low brass part? That way you have a, such a better idea of how all of these parts fit together. So that's something to think about. Every student learns every part because it's in alignment with our philosophy of students as uh, musical learners and not as people who were born with talent. And it is also just a very practical thing to help with part work and listening skills. The next really, really big thing is that the body is the first instrument. We learn music with the body first, and then that understanding is transferred to the instrument. And this is why we play the parts ourselves before we teach them. We want to know where are the tricky parts where we either are going to want to play everything with our right hand exclusively, or where we're going to get our hands like pretzeled together, or where we're gonna have some trouble with the target practice, all of this stuff. There is a very necessary physical embodiment of the mallet parts that we're gonna to have to think about before it's time to actually put them on the barred instruments. So something to think about is if you were to take away the instrument and just notice the motion of your hands in terms of the melodic contour, like the left and right motion, and then again, the sticking that you're using. If you were to take the instrument away and just focus on the physical mechanics of playing the part, Where are the things that we can, um, scaffold where we can go back and scaffold up before we jump on the instruments themselves. A lot of times this is going to come down to a movement connection. So something like moving left for low and then right for high, or we might choose to take the rhythm of the barred instrument part and put it on body percussion, or we might use some sort of speech, uh, to help with that rhythm, all of these things. So where is the movement? Where's the body percussion? Where's the speech? Where can we go back to the body being the first instrument? A lot of this can be tied back to your pedagogical purpose. What is the point of the piece? Yes, the point of the piece is to play the piece. And I understand that, Uh, but what is the, what is the reason that you chose the piece? What is your pedagogical goal? So for example, if you have a melodic understanding that you are trying to work on through this piece, well, that is the time to bring in listening skills to bring in, I said speech earlier, but to sing the part first. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, to really enforce that melodic understanding uh, that you are hoping to achieve with this piece. Or if it's rhythmic, maybe students are going to, again, use speech, use movement, use body percussion, and then maybe figure out how to notate that rhythm with long and short icons. Or if they have the vocabulary and if they have the uh, standard Western notation already in their conscious vocabulary, they can use that rhythmic understanding to help them play the part. So, thinking through uh, using the body as the first instrument and then always, always, always being aware of the purpose of the song outside of just playing the song. What's the pedagogical goal and how can that pedagogical goal help students in learning the parts? The other thing that I really like about this approach using the body as the first instrument is if you were ever in piano lessons where you had a sheet of music in front of you and you were just trying to learn the piece by playing like one note at a time (laughs) and that going back to this idea of not getting bogged down, that is a very draining way to learn a piece of music. So when we look at where the body can be the first instrument, that just infuses this element of artistry at every single step of the learning process. So if we were to just take a movement and body percussion piece on its own, that is a complete musical work. If we were to just do movement and body percussion, that might be where everything ends and we could put it on stage and it would be fabulous. But if we are using that as a scaffold to the barred instruments, we have made a musical output at every single step. We're not waiting until the final, the final polished piece to be ready in order to feel like we are making music. We are making music throughout the entire learning process, not just at the end when the piece is checked off our list and ready to be put on stage. So using the body as the first instrument. Next, we can practice part work off the instruments. This is huge. A lot of the time, what we notice about doing our ensemble work with something like a barred instrument ensemble, it's not always that students don't know how to play the part. It's that they don't know where their part fits. And this goes back a lot to uh, having every student learn every part so they know what to listen for. But then also, if we can practice part work off the instruments first, that is going to be huge. So before we get on the instruments, let's say you have your body percussion scaffold that you are using. Go ahead and teach all of the different parts on body percussion and have students perform it in, in this case, a three-part ensemble, because in this specific uh, example, there are three different mallet parts that are happening at the same time. So do all three of those off the instruments on body percussion first, just the rhythm of the part off the instruments and on body percussion. If students aren't ready to do the body percussion in three equal groups, that's not a problem at all pick one of them, maybe the bass part that in this case is all quarter notes. So maybe students are stepping the quarter notes while you play the rhythm of the next part. And then you divide the class in half. One half plays those quarter notes. The other half plays the second part, that middle, um, like alto xylophone part. And then you switch jobs. And then maybe as students are working on those two parts, you add in the third, and then you divide it up like that. If you can practice part work off the instruments, that will save you you so much time and so much headache when it's time to actually jump to the bard instruments. We have talked about some big elemental ideas. I have two random tips to kind of tag on to uh, this big foundational elemental conversations idea. One is to keep your eyes up Um, If you do not have the capacity to see students, then you don't know how they are engaging in the material. And if you don't know what's happening in the classroom, that leads to all sorts of uh, sticky classroom management issues. So as you practice playing the parts on your own, practice playing them with your eyes up. Don't look down at the barred instrument. The instrument bars, those bars are not going anywhere. They will always be in the exact same place where you left them. So you don't need to be concerned that when you look up, the bars will change position, they will still be there. So practice playing the parts with your eyes up that way. When it's time for you to demonstrate, you can really focus on the students and what the students need from you. And then along those same lines, another random tip is to turn the instrument so that, you know, normally when we're playing the instrument, the low side is is on our left and the high side is on our right. Practice it opposite. And so flipping the instrument so that the high side is on your left and the low side is on your right. The other thing with that is that you're going to need to practice the opposite of the sticking that you want students to use. So if you want them to start with their right hand, you need to practice flipping the instrument and starting with your left hand. So thinking through what will the students see and how can they mirror you uh, and how will it be the most intuitive process for them to see what you're doing and then replicate it on their own instrument. One last thing to note is just that you have permission to rewrite parts if they don't work with your students and what they need at this moment in time. You have permission to take parts away. You have permission to add new parts in that you have come up with yourself. You have permission to rewrite the melodies or the rhythm or whatever it is. There's a cultural context conversation to have about what types of musics are appropriate for us to alter and what types of musics need to stay the same. But assuming that you have made your repertoire selection based off of what would be appropriate to use in the classroom, there is not a need to feel that because it's written on the page, that's how it has to live in the classroom. This is especially true for things that maybe we find a folk song arrangement of an American folk song, or maybe we're pulling something from the ORF volumes. We don't need to feel tied to the notation. The notation is there, and we have chosen this piece to serve the students. So keeping student needs at the front of the repertoire selection process and our pedagogical goals and then how we present the material to students and adjust as needed. That can be very, very helpful. All right, we have talked about a lot of different ways to approach teaching part work when it comes to instrumental and mallet parts specifically. We talked about some prep that we can go through as teachers. We talked about what to do as things are kind of flopping in the moment um, and how to kind of keep our cool and just take the data as they come in. We've talked about every student learning every part we have talked about using the body as the first instrument through movement or speech or singing or body percussion or something like that. We have looked at practicing part work off the instruments first so that we'll be really successful once we are actually on the instrument. And then we've talked about some random tips like keeping our eyes up and turning the instrument and feeling free to rewrite parts so that they serve our students, not the other way around. It's not so students serve the music on the page, it's so the music on the page serves what students need in the moment. And the only person who can make that decision about which pathway to use moving forward, that is where you come in as the pedagogue in your classroom. So you can really feel free to come in and make some of these decisions that will really serve students best. These types of partwork mallet pieces can be incredibly rewarding for us as educators and for our students as the student musicians in the room. And when we keep these elemental foundational building blocks of partwork on mallets, when we keep those in mind, that helps the entire process, even though it's educational, it helps the entire process stay artistic and musical.